This morning, I'm your guest host, Liam Renton, and today we're talking to the Reverend Sam Childers, who's been uh, dubbed the Machine Gun Preacher. He joins us on our show. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm happy to be here. I love Australia. It's been very beautiful. Where's the name Machine Gun Preacher come from? Well, I tell you what, I went into South Sudan in 1998, and I started building an orphanage in 2000, and I started building this orphanage with just like a mosquito net. Inside of a tree, slept on a grass mat, Bible on one side, had a machine gun on the other side. I was in the middle of a war zone. So, I mean, the Bible I definitely needed, but the machine gun I needed as well, you know. So uh, natives started saying, ah, that man is the machine gun preacher. So it was actually the natives of Sudan that started calling me, okay, the machine gun preacher. And then we had missionaries uh Ended up hearing about it, and then all of a sudden, missionaries started coming by just to see, okay, the machine gun preacher. Then the missionaries come back to the States, and you know how rumors get going, and that's that's how I got the name. And I'm not even real good, okay, with a machine gun. I can shoot them good, but I'm better with a pistol. Why don't you just nutshell for us what it is that you do? You save children from what? Uh, I've been in South Sudan for the past 12 years, and there's been a genocide going on from South Sudan into Darfur. And I've been there the past 12 years. The past eight years, I've been fighting a war against a man by the name of Joseph Kony, the leader of the LRA. The LRA has been laming children, killing children, nailing them to trees, been cutting them up with machetes, cutting the lips off, cutting the ears off of children. Uh, raping the children. He'll end up turning them into child soldiers. I mean, it's just unbelievable what he does to these kids. But a lot of people don't realize this guy is financed by the president of northern Sudan, Bashir. And if you get on the Internet, you'll see that the U.N. just took warrants against him, or I should say ICC just took warrants against him uh, for all sorts, okay, of like war crimes. So he is the same man that's fueling the war in Darfur. So he fuels the war and uh, finances the rebels, the Lord Resistant Army he finances, and also he finances and stuff the Janjaweed inside of Darfur. Why don't we go back to the beginning just for a second? Um, what's your background? Where did you start and how did all this come about? Uh, I wasn't always a preacher. I am a preacher. I got a church in the mountains of Pennsylvania. But uh, uh, I grew up at a very young age in the mountains of Pennsylvania, always using a gun. I started hunting at like seven years old. I started riding motorcycle at the age of seven years old. Uh, as years went on, I, I've rode with every major motorcycle group out there from the outlaws, the pagans, the warlocks, hell's angels. I still ride with all of those groups. I don't belong to none of them, but I ride with them all. Uh, I'm there if they need a chaplain or anything. If they need me, I'm there. Uh, I have a biker church in the mountains that I actually have from Black Pistons to Outlaws come to my church. 
uh, three weeks ago, I actually had four Hell's Angels in my church. Let's set the scene for a second. You're wearing a, a really nice, tight-fitting Harley-Davidson shirt today. Absolutely. And you've got possibly one of the best handlebar moustaches I've seen. <laughs> if anyone at home would recognize the name Merv Hughes, who's a famous Australian cricketer, you've got the Merv Hughes Mo going on today. Which, it looks good. <laughs> yeah. good. Well, it takes a long time. you got to comb it a lot. I'm constantly combing it, you know. So tell us about how you came to know God. You know, in 1992, I went to a old-fashioned camp meeting. Well, first, let me go back even further. I was raised in a Christian family, but I left the faith, and I should say I, I left it because I knew what I was doing at 11 years old. I mean, I knew at the age of seven or eight years old, it even tell you in the book, I knew I was to be a pastor. But at 11 years old, I left it and started smoking dope, 13 years old, harder drugs, 14, 15, 16 years old, I'm sticking a needle in my arm, you know. So I went, I went totally into drugs really heavy. In 1992, uh, I went to an old-fashioned camp meeting. There was a guy from South Africa there. Uh, I gave my heart to the Lord that night and went back the next night. It's almost like a buffet. Once you get a taste you want more. I I mean, I don't know about you, but I love going, okay, to a buffet. And, and every time you get that one flavor, that one taste of food, you go back again, mm. you go back again. Sometimes we get hooked on a certain type of food that we'll go back every week because we crave that taste. Well, that's how I was with Christ. And I just kept going back, you know, for more. How receptive uh, are bikey steel message? You know, I do really good because the bikers in the U.S. know that I am a one-percenter. I am a full-pledged one-percenter. A one-percenter in the U.S. is what they call the the real biker crowd. He belongs or he runs with a MC group, you know. I got a lot of very good outlaw friends. I got Hells Angels friends. Warlocks. I mean, all of them. I got friends in all the groups. I try to be there to be a bridge for them. If they need me for anything, I'm there. Sometimes it causes me a problem, but you just handle the problems as you go along. You know. Ever been in trouble with the law? Yeah, yeah, several times. Mm. <laughs> How does that fit into the message you're uh, you're trying to preach? You know, I tell you what, I think it fits really good because here I got a book that I wrote. Okay, another man's war. This book is actually in, on the number one sellers list in the U.S. It's holding its own at number 20 out of the top 100 books, which is totally unbelievable. I don't even have a high school diploma. Mm. Uh, so I believe that when I tell people that I was the lowest of the low, I was the scum of the bucket, I was the most unlikely never to succeed, I was a drug addict, I was a heroin addict, and then I tell people that what God done for me today, then we know that Jesus Christ is in the miracle working business. You know, I could sit here and say, yeah, I went to college for eight years. And I could tell you that I got a book that's a number one seller. That's not a miracle. But when, when I sit here and I say, I don't have a high school diploma, I got a book that's a number one seller, that's not Sam Childers, that's God at work. Mm. So you're spending a lot of time, your ministries with bikies, and then all of a sudden you find yourself overseas with a machine gun beside your bed. How do you get to that point? What, what prompted you to go and <clears throat> well, save to start the kids with, overseas? It even goes back further. For a number of years in the U.S., I was what they called a shotgunner for drug deals. So I was a hired gun for drug deals. And, I mean, guns were something that was always in my life. I'm very good with a gun. I shoot with either hand, and I'm, I'm one of the best out there with a gun. 
And I believe that when we give our heart to God and we give our whole life to God, he will use everything for his benefit. I believe that uh, I finally gave my heart to the Lord one day and God looked down upon me and said, wow, I got a messed up man here. And I believe that God even had to think, where am I going to put this guy? And I believe that's why he put me in South Sudan. And he put me in a spot that all of my talent, everything that that has happened to me in the past, even though he didn't approve of, he'll use for the work today. Well, tell us about the work that you do. From the, the very first day you arrived, did you go over there with anything? Did you start with nothing? What happened? Uh, yeah, I, I actually went into South Sudan my very first trip on a five-week mission trip to work on a building to help another missionary. And when I was there, I worked the whole five weeks but about halfway through, I seen a body of a small child that stepped on a landmine. And from the waist down, it was gone, and it just messed me up. I couldn't understand how could this happen. And I stood over that body, and I said, Lord, I'll do anything that I can to help these people. And I didn't realize what I was saying, but one of my favorite scriptures now is John four seventeen, And it basically says, if you know you can do something, and then you don't do it, you have sinned. And I knew I could help the children of South Sudan. I didn't really know at how or what at the time. But I spoke a message last evening that, uh, about men and women of action. And I've always been a man of action. I mean, if, if God spoke to me to do something, I moved that quick. I would move quickly. It seems like a lot of people, they almost want to uh, check everything out. They want to do all the paperwork and everything. But when you're saving a life... If you're going to do it by the book and do all the red tape, you won't save a life. Mm. And uh, I just ended up moving quickly. I found myself back in Sudan three months later. I pulled landmines out and helped support the people pulling landmines out for over a year. Then I started and stuff like a mobile clinic. I run a mobile clinic for over a year, and then I went from it to building the orphanage. We talk about saving kids. How do you do that? How do you save the kids? What do you do? Uh, I work directly with the SPLA. The SPLA is the ones that were keeping the people of South Sudan alive. That's the Sudanese People Liberation Army. They are the ones that all these years, over 22 years of war, they are the ones that keeps the civilians uh, alive in South Sudan. So I began helping them because when I first went there, I noticed that the, the NGOs, the people that were there were not helping the SPLA. It was like they didn't want to help the rebel group because at the time they were known as a rebel group. Uh, but now they, they're not a rebel group anymore. They are, okay, a government. Well, I started helping them, and then I became a full supporter of the SPLA. So now I have SPLA soldiers that work with me, and we go into the conflict areas. If there's a village that's raided, we'll do like a recon of the area, and we will find the displaced children. Uh, I've rescued over 1,000 children right now out of the War of Sudan. Uh, most of those children uh, are not orphans. They were displaced, so we would find their families or we would find uh, almost like a relative or something for them to go back to. I take care of 268 orphans right now I have that I take care of. Our project went from something small, and it keeps growing. We actually feed about 2,400 meals a day. We have a primary school. We have a nursery school. We have a clinic, and it keeps growing. What's the worst thing you've ever seen? 
the worst thing I've ever seen was uh, stacks of body parts that were children that was cut up down to children that was nailed to trees, down to children that was cut in half. But uh, I think the worst thing that I've ever seen is children that would be in a village that I could not rescue them all. We had to leave many of them behind. And it's like almost every rescue. A number of years ago, I ran into an area that there was orphans that came from all over. And I say orphan. I'm going to say displaced children from all over because they didn't know if they was orphans or not. There was over 200 and some children. I could only take 25 out. So, I mean, it makes it hard because it's almost like you've got to act like God to pick which child you're going to save. What's the most dangerous situation you've been in? You know, I've been in all kinds of them from the U.S. into Africa. You know, I've, I've somebody asked me one time, well, have you ever been in a shootout? I've been in more shootouts in America than I've been in Sudan, and, and I've been in over 10 major battles in South Sudan. Have you ever been shot? Yeah, I've mm. been shot in the, in the back once with a shotgun. But yeah, I mean, God is God is a powerful God. What does the machine gun preacher fear? You know, there isn't really too much of fear. Everyone asks me, Sam, don't you fear dying? To be honest with you, I fear living more than dying. I mean, dying is the, the only thing we have to do in life one time. And everything else in life we might have to do every day, you know. So I fear, I'd have to say I fear living more than dying. And I feel that God is in complete control. You know, God's the one that's going to control that last breath. God's the one that's going to allow someone to take my life or not take it. So, I mean, why should we fear? And if we truly know God, we should know where we're going. I just said this the other day. I was preaching. I can't understand. You You end up hearing Christians that has been Christians for 25 years, 30 years, 40 years, and they're scared to death of dying. I mean, come on, man. If you're if if we're a Christian and we know where we're going to go without a shadow of a doubt, I mean, why should we have a fear of dying? Why do you do this? Why do you go into the most dangerous parts of the world to save kids you don't even know? You know, the last couple of years, I've been asked this question a lot, and I've been answering it about the same way every time. I've heard a lot of people, a lot of people in my past. I was a fighter and. I hurt a lot of people, I, I sold drugs, and I, I hurt people. And I destroyed, you know, uh, people's lives with drugs, uh, people's marriages. And maybe it's because I'm trying to make up for everything i done wrong. And But if that is the case, i got a lot more to do. Do you need any help? Uh, absolutely. But but the biggest help is I, I have a lot of people, they hear the message and right away they want to come in and grab a machine gun and help. It doesn't work that way and it can't work that way. You know, the government of South Sudan would never allow, allow anybody to do that. You know, you got to remember, I've been there for 12 years. If you go there for 12 years and you sacrifice what I have sacrificed, maybe they'll let you do it. But the biggest thing that I need help with is rescuing more children. And it comes down to financial help, you know. Uh, but it's not just about giving me money. Right now, if you want to help our ministry and if you want to help your friends, you want to help your relatives, get online. You can go to bookstores, buy the book, Another Man's War. Uh, this book is changing lives around the world. We're getting 500 to 1,000 emails a week. People that is coming to Christ or coming back to Christ, people that was ready to commit suicide literally put the gun down and picked the book up, and it changed their life. 
So if you want to help us, you can buy the book. You can get on our websites. MachineGunPreacher.org is one of the websites. Again, uh, Angels of East Africa is one of the websites. So we got two. One, okay, is like the MachineGunPreacher.org. I think that's the easiest to remember. But you can get on there and uh, also and stuff make a donation. Who's funding you at the moment? You know, I have churches around the United States, uh, but I have a lot of people that end up funding us. It might only be a check or a visa card of maybe $25 a month to $50 a month, $100 a month. But listen, if you have a lot of people given a little bit, it adds up to a whole lot. Our project in Sudan, we actually spend around 30000 U.S. per month just in the field. And that's not just in Sudan. Uh, uh, that's in all three projects that I have in Africa. So that around $30,000 a month. I mean, it takes, takes a lot of money coming in in order to meet that. You've seen the, the worst of the worst. You've done some amazing things. What's God shown you since you've been over in Sudan? You know, my biggest thing is right now, and I don't think people quite get it. You know, I preached in some awesome churches the last few days, had some awesome people from Australia hear it. But I've had people hear it from also America for many years. People don't get it when I say I need help to build another orphanage. And the area that I want to build it, there is nobody there, and there's over 6,000 children dying per month in this area. And it's like people just don't get it. You know, uh, you would think, I mean, America is a rich country. Australia is a rich and blessed country. You would think somebody would get it and say, man, I want to save a life. I want to save a life. See, it's not Sam Childers that's really saving these kids. It's every person that gives. That's who's saving the kids. What's your message to Australia? People are tuning in for the first time. They're going, who's this guy with a machine gun? What would you say to people listening to you right now? You know, it's it's not about the machine gun. You know, everyone, when you look at a gun, they think of violence. You know, guns don't kill, people kill. Uh, if you outlaw guns, only outlaws will have guns. But the big thing is that I ask everybody, what if someone took your child today? And if I came up known as the machine gun preacher, and if I said, I can get your child back, what would you say? Most people would say, please help me get my child. It's an amazing story, Sam. And if I ever hear a bump in the night, I was hoping you're the guy in the room next door looking out for me. You, <laughs> you really are a strong man. People can Google you, I guess, and find out more. Your website's yeah, available. You can Google Sam Childers, and you'll be able to pull up. Machine Gun Preacher, I will be back uh, November 15th. I'll be speaking from Sydney on down to this area. If anyone would like to have me come speak at a high school, uh, college, church, whatever, they, there's a contact, Kevin Evans, on the website. You can get on there and get a hold of him, and he'll end up making the booking. How does it feel to be called a history maker? You know, I believe that we're all history makers. It's just a lot of us don't want to do the work. You know, I believe that God called us all to be a history maker. Great story. Really appreciate you coming Thank in you. and being part of the show. And my many continued success. Good luck with what you do. Thank you, and God bless you. That brings us to the end of this week's show. You can listen to this interview again or any of our other interviews. Simply go to historymakersradio.com. Thanks for joining us. History Makers.